What's up, everybody? We're here. This is the Northeast Scene Podcast, Episode 2, and I am Keith. I'm Tommy. How's it going? This is it, and guess what? We are here with our very special, very, very special first interview, Mr. Michael Shaw of <laughs> This Day Forward <laughs> and Kinder Things Podcast. Michael, say hello. Hey. Honored to be here, gentlemen. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. For doing this, Tommy and I have been talking about doing this podcast for a while. I don't know, at least a year. At least. Yeah, we banged out the first episode. I'm afraid to listen to it, but uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But, but, I remember talking to you outside that All Else Failed show in South Philly and saying, when we do this, we want you to be the first guest. Yeah. And, and now here we are. And here we, yeah, and yeah. This is it. I can't believe it's happening. We're here in beautiful... Center City, Philadelphia. I rented an obscenely large, nice hotel room. It's beautiful. Using setup. my <laughs> points uh, so we could have a nice setup to do this. It's great to be back in Philly. This is where I'm from. We're literally at a seven-person, eight-person dining room table that is like 10 feet long. Yeah, this <laughs> is where like, you, you know, like on TV shows where there's like an evil businessman like <laughs> plotting to like t take over some this is like where it goes down this is the boardroom this is it this is where like crazy shit goes down so mike thank you again for being here and yeah and i uh brought you guys a couple gifts oh gifts. Man. Man. It's seriously such an honor um this one i found this morning but I know you like Twix and Oreos, so I found cookies and cream. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> I haven't seen one of these literally since I was like eleven. Oh my goodness! And Dude, then got some quality uh, sustenance. I know it's going to be a long day of interviewing, but got like a macro bar. For Yo, you. you ever have that? I have not, but I'm psyched on it. And now. then this is like a protein cookie. I've seen those. They're so good. They sell those at my breakfast spot. Low sugar and 16 grams of protein, and seriously, uh, such good sustenance. Oh man, you're and the, then you're this, the best. This is the Piesta Resistance. Look what I found. Oh, my God. <laughs> Disciple AD. What is, what CD is I that? I think it's Heaven and Hell. I think it's the one. Oh, this is like hell, my dude. favorite hardcore record. And it was in a, one of these little old worn jewel, down case. jewel, yeah. jewel cases. This is going up dude. on the site. Yeah. This Hilarious. is it. We have to get a picture of this. Keith oh. and I, this is one of our histories, is uh, driving around listening to this record, Heaven and Hell by X Disciple X AD. <laughs> I, do you remember? Like, and we would like punch each other while yeah. he's driving. <laughs> and, like, and also, whenever there was like a slow breakdown, we would each put our, our fists up and just point middle fingers. At, like and cars, <laughs> yeah. My, one of my favorite ever is you and I, we were listening to Disciple, and we rolled up past Independence Hall, and a slow breakdown came, and we both just gave the middle finger to Independence <laughs> Hall. <laughs> like the birthplace of our nation. Oh, my God. These two idiots. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely classic. Oh, yeah, thank so you. So when I saw this, I was like, I have to bring this on this show. This, I, we can't listen to it. There's not a CD player. I don't think they exist anymore. I, yeah. But we'll, we'll find a way. So we want to start by the question we like to ask everyone, which is you so far, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is uh, this will be the first time we're asking it. I like to know people's origin into punk, hardcore, etc. So tell us how you Ooh, got that's into it. Good story. It. Yeah, that's awesome. Ninth grade, I was given a a tape of a tape. Like a friend of mine had a tape for a shelter the album Quest for Certainty, and he's like, Yo, Shaw, 
I have this band, you gotta listen to them. Like, uh, um, and at the time I was just, you know, I liked The Offspring, Green Day, and all bands like that. Same, and, same. And he gave me a tape for Shelter, Quest for Certainty, and it just didn't leave my Walkman for about a year. And became obsessed with like the Krishna core bands. Like that led me to 108. Yes. Um, Prima. Pennywise somehow got in there. And that was that was my little gateway into the uh, hardcore scene. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and I, I remember meeting you and Pat around 1998. Now, th- I saw I got a job at the movie theater where they worked. That was my intro <laughs> to hardcore. And I, <laughs> I saw Mike. I'm like, that's the fucking guy I see at church every week. Because <laughs> my parents made me go to church and Mike was always there. And then we kind of started talking and Pat like... I was always dressed in like basketball jerseys at church. Yeah, it made no sense. I was like, "What is this guy doing?" Like, <laughs> I was talking about that the, like with Keith earlier. Is like it's this weird like little group of like Irish Catholic kids that came from Lower Bucks County somehow all made all of this music and started like with this whole group of people, and then we realized like we have so much ridiculous stuff in common that has absolutely nothing to do with music. Yeah, it's yeah, so strange. Yeah, so I met. You and Pat, Pat like brought me into some first shows. I think the first show I ever went to. Now, was the first This Day Forward show at your parents' house? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I remember that. But tell us about tell us about the very beginning of how that band came together. Like, how did you guys talk to each other? How did you decide like when the first practice was going to be? Like, how did that all play out? Uh, it was Mike Golan and I. We we formed the band, and it's funny when I first met him, I was didn't like him because we were in the same Spanish class together. And for two years already, I was always Miguel. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I'd seen him around, Michael, and he had, like, shelter shirts. He had bold shirts. And I was like, yeah. I didn't like that somebody else had. <laughs> that was like, your thing. They wanted it to be thing. yours. I knew his name was Mike, too. Oh, God. And so we were in the Spanish class together. And since he's Mike G, he got to choose his name, and he chose Miguel. And I was just like, this guy. <laughs> and it rolled around to me. And the teacher's like, Michael Shaw, what would you like your name to be? I was like, Miguel. She's, and I knew it was taken. She was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, um, he already ha- took it. So I was like, fine, whatever. I'll take whatever. And so I was Mateo that whole year. That's like a classic Golaning, yeah. like right from the beginning. <laughs> but then all I said to him, I think he was wearing a bold shirt. I was like, yo, nice shirt, man. And then uh, we became best friends. And we would always walk in between uh, classes and we'd always be talking and it escalated to us either starting a crew like a straight edge crew or a (laughs) band like one or the other we opted for the band the the crew was going to be named etched in stone crew oh man (laughs) we should still do that like now etched in stone shirts we should start that crew like after this podcast (laughs) we'll find a printing press get those like old varsity jackets made up like people used to have like the straight edge varsity yeah like with the patches and everything totally doing we're gonna we're gonna do that or uh, yeah or an uh this day forward offshoot etched in stone three-piece band us let's do it somehow we don't have a drummer so the band is forming together now i remember the first show was the shawl fest yeah at at your house i remember being there and like i told tommy in the last episode i i didn't this is i'd never been to a hardcore show before so i had no idea what to expect yeah i went there and i ran into a guy i knew from high school and i expected a warm welcome or you know like and he's like 
what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, uh, hanging out. <laughs> and uh, But the show, I liked the show. Like Each band I liked more than the next. And then you guys, did you guys headline? Yeah. Yeah, see, that's beautiful. Like, it's your house. It's your band. Yeah. You're putting on the show. You can headline. Yeah. And I, you guys, you guys were good. How did you feel after that first show? Like, were you happy with... That was awesome. Yeah. There was like 150 people in my parents' house, and it was just... <laughs> this bizarre community that just formed seemingly overnight. Yeah, and I remember talking to you. I barely knew you, and we were in your car, and you said, uh, I think this this might have been like right after the show, and you said like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a hardcore band, so I scream. It's like that. that's a therapeutic thing. And you said like when you get nervous, you would drive around the block and with the heat on, <laughs> even if it was summertime. And listen to Enya. That was the ritual. That was the ritual, right? Yeah. The decompression ritual? Yep. I would, yeah. I'd get to these like elevated states of consciousness just from making my car 110 degrees and blasting Enya. It's like I, hot yoga without the stretching. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. Mine is to play like three video games at once while listening to a podcast and like pounding a seltzer. So it's, <laughs> it, 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 brings, it brings the stress level down. I started as the, the bass player for this day forward, actually. Really? We had the idea for the band, and he was like, well, yeah, my, me and my friend Randy were both guitar players, and then uh, Brett, he's a, he's a singer. He's going to be our singer, because he was like the cool, he was like a high school senior. Yeah. We were like honored just to even be talking to him. So I was like, okay, uh, I could play bass. I, I didn't know how to play bass. I brought a bass over to their house. And they were, I just pretended to like tune for about 45 minutes. <laughs> so and how then, did you get out of it? Like, how did it work out? Golan called me out. And he's like, you don't know how to play, do you? I was like, no, I just want to be in a band. <laughs> and he's like, well, you can be like second singer. You know, we could do like two singer kind of thing. And, um, and then Brett was busy with school and the job and he didn't have time for the band. So they were like, all right. So you were up. it. Batter up. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> So going back to the early days of the band, you know, I started going to shows with you guys right around when the band started. Like, what are what are some of like the early? Because whenever I hear an interview with a band, it's always like right to we're on tour. Yeah, I, I'm I've never been in a band that's ever even been signed and I've never yeah. been on a tour. So I'm always curious about like the early days. So where's like some of the early successes you remember were like oh. things were happening and like you think like okay maybe this is this is another uh, landmark and or the, like things are starting to happen. We just had momentum from like just driving anywhere to hand our demo demo tapes out, uh, playing whatever shows we can. I think the first like cosmic shift for us was the first Hellfest. Yes, I think it was ninety nine or two thousand. Two thousand. That was such a wild, uh, wild time because. We got to the venue, and I guess due to ordinances and or um, oh, like it, municipal codes and stuff. Yeah, like that. it was yeah. a last-minute venue switch. There were two switches because then we went to like another venue, and it was like, no, 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 it's going to be moved to this last one, and the last one was called the Mirage. So it was like, did, it was just this weird thing, like this we um, giant venue in uh, Syracuse, and we were signed to break even at the time, but. During our set, Randy uh, Randy swung his guitar. I was like full torso, headbang, and dude hit a home run with his guitar in my head, and his guitar pegs just, all three of them went right into my forehead. 
uh, blood just started like pouring down my face. I remember that. It was terrifying and awesome. Yeah. I think it, I think it was good PR, honestly. I think <laughs> that was like, they were like, wow, this band, you know, played, we played at like one in the afternoon, but it just kind of generated a buzz. Like there were a few pictures and like, whoa, what, like, what was this? And then that was the weekend that eulogy happened because, uh, I guess, so I, they they discovered you that weekend. Yeah, that was. Oh. Um, was your first record already out by the time you had played that show? Oh, I don't. Yeah, the, the break even was, record. Yeah. Fragments was. Yeah. yeah. And how did it feel to have a record out? Because I know for me, all I all I ever wanted was to be in a band. Because you know, part of me thought like it would be the answer to all my problems. Like I'd be cool and I'd be accepted and I'd be happy and all this. So when I finally had a record out and I could show it to people and be like, "Look, I'm in a band." Like it was just the most important thing ever to me? Like, how did you feel having yeah. that first record out? It was less of, like, dream, because it was so... It was so urgent. It was all that we were doing, like, all that we were putting our time and energy into and just manifesting and just riding this wave just to be at Hellfest with all these other bands, part of this bigger tribe, was uh, pretty surreal, for sure. I bet. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've played a handful of, like, bigger shows in my time... Some with like people I really look up to, and those are moments I'll never forget. So like, and I have to say, I've been in a hardcore band. There's nothing better on earth than playing a song you wrote and watching people pummel each other to it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the best natural high there is, and I and I hope to experience it again one day. It's just it's just the best. So eulogy discovers you after Hellfest. What are the conversations? How how does it happen? Are they like, hey, we like you, uh, sign with us, or well, take I us through some of those days? I just remember there was like a 30-page contract, oh and our our guitarist, Randy, like his parents just didn't want him to sign it. They're like, if you sign this contract, they're going to take our house. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, he was like kind of the loose end, and we're just like, dude, like this is it. we you know, this is our next step, and um, that's kind of where we fizzled out with uh, Randy. Yeah. Right, because yeah. he switched out for Vadim right uh-huh. right yeah. when that record came out. Yep. Because I, I have a vivid memory of Randy being at the record release show and singing along, and it was a weird, like, uh, Whoa. transference of one yeah. generation to the next. Yeah. yeah. Was that at the Kill Time? Yes. Dude, that yeah. show. There was footage of that show. Man, I can... There's... I can just vividly remember being at that show, palpable, like, intense energy. Yeah. I was so excited to play that one. What about your influences at that time? Moving into Transient, like, how did, how did the writing process work? Like, who brought the ideas to the table? How, how, did, how did it, like, come together? Um, I think Colin is the one who gave us the most uh, uniqueness to our identity because me... I would hear a riff and I would be like, yo, that's like a harvest riff. Let's, can we play that harvest song? <laughs> or I'm like, dude, that's such a converge part. Let's play the, con-. and for me, I'm always like, like. You're compartmentalizing. Compartmentalizing. Yeah, like, oh, it's copying. this, this song. Yeah. And, you know, I get the converge record and all of a sudden I'm barking like Jake into the mic. <laughs> you and the rest of the band are like, Mike, stop jaking off. <laughs> You know, I heard, yeah. I heard, I was showing a friend that uh, uh, that record like a year ago, and there, and I yeah. we listened to uh, end of August, and one, yeah. I was like, this is awesome, like it's so vicious, yeah. and, and two, like there is a, a heavy converge 
influence yeah. that I did notice. Dude, uh, Kissing Perfection's Cheek. That's that's the best breakdown I, ever. I tried singing that. Uh, actually, on your birthday, or it was going into your birthday on Martin Luther King Day a few weeks ago, I worked a long day at work and closed up. And I realized, like, hey, nobody's here. I can, And I have the stereo, so I just I threw on in response and sung the first three songs like full volume wow haven't done that in so long and i realized like it was close to midnight and it was 121 i was like whoa it's keith's birthday signs <laughs> and i tried to uh the screaming was tough mechanically mm-hmm. but it sounded good it was really fun yeah um i tried to i tried to go into a uh, kissing but my voice wasn't quite ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like, yeah, I mean, to, to to do it again, I imagine it would be like a Rocky training montage. You'd have to, like, run and do cardio, <laughs> like, to get back to, like, just where roll, you could survive a sex. Because I, I just sweatsuits. sang along at the 108 show, and I was wiped. Yeah. After one song, I was like, I'm done. Like, I, you know. So I, I there's a significant – and I remember Transient, and I remember car caravans driving to Hellfest and yeah. shows and just – you know, wherever you guys could play and being a part of that was great. Like, I also remember one of my most significant memories of the band is you played a gig at Hard Rock Cafe in New York City. It was shortly after 9-11. And I guess this is right around before Kairos came out. And I, I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard any of it. I didn't know there was a shift happening. Yeah. But I remember you opened with track three. ISO. Yeah, yeah I remember f- opening with that. From Kairos. And I, I was just, I'll never forget it because I was like, oh, my God. Like, they're really, like, bringing it. Like, they've reached the next level. I was wow. like, they've grown. Like, and it, I was, it was just such a surreal feeling. Like, tell us about some of uh, that process of the sound shift. Was it a conscious decision? Did it just kind of happen? Like, what kind of influences were going on? Like, take us through some oh, of I that. I think we were surely just being carried a lot by the influences. Like, I got it at the drive-in record and became obsessed with that. Yes, you did. Started doing all of his moves. Uh, Colin hated that. Like, Mike, just be yourself. Be your authentic self. Yeah. Um, Glassjaw was another huge uh, They dominated yeah. in the early 2000s. And yeah. if you listen to any record from, like, 2000 to 2004, you hear Glassjaw. Yeah, the influence is undeniable with so many things. Yeah, one of the few bands that we actually could agree on to listen to in the van. That was always a hard thing. You know, somebody would put on a record like I would throw on the Seosin EP for the thousandth time. Oh God, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) But Glassjaw was universally accepted in in the van, which is rare. It was a dream to play with them. Uh, They played the TLA. I think right before In Response was coming out and there was like no opener, the opener canceled. So we were doing everything we could. And I I thought we'd gotten on the show and I showed up to the venue and then it was like, no, no, um, I'm sorry. Like you guys can't play tonight. Oh, I was devastated. That was like one man. Of... Did you ever get to play with them? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> So yeah. got to play the TLA though later um, with uh, that band Colors I was in. That was very uh, that's significant. I always wanted to play there or like the truck, but yeah, um, same. But those it, were the two venues that I was always like held in such high esteem. Yeah. So I remember um, before I was either right before when Kairos came out, 
Brendan was living. Brendan was the guitar player who replaced Golan, uh, mm. for everybody's context. Mm. But he was living in Maryland and like coming back to Pennsylvania when he could. And you know, so there was a. You guys had a gig booked at the Chameleon Club in Lancaster. Yeah. And you were going to cancel it. And I, I, I was like, no, like I'll play. Yes. I, I just, I was so determined to fill in because like I just wanted. I had never. I don't think I had ever played a show in any band. And I was like, yeah. so I'm like, Gary, come on, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I had him sit down and we tabbed out all the bass and I practiced it and practiced it and we played we played a set. And that's, I had footage of it. Yeah. But as Tommy and I were talking about before, <laughs> all my tapes ended up in the trash because I'm a moron. So that footage is lost to time. But I have to say, I'm so glad that happened because like that yeah. was like a dream come true for me. Yeah, I remember being on stage with you. I vividly do. Yeah. And like, just going up and singing, and just like being right next to you. Oh man, yeah. it was like it was like a dream come true. And yeah, uh, thanks for doing that, and thanks for just being part of the journey. You've been really integral. Yes, throughout. and you're like a band member. You really are. And yeah. the people still think I'm in the band. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, uh, you basically are. And I think of it, we we didn't, we never really broke up. We just stopped playing music. Yeah. Like we're all still very tight. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we still pretty much talk every day. I, yeah. Aren't you guys all on the same, like, text, like, every single yeah. day? Yeah, like, for, eight. like, <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That thing is my lifeline. Thread Club. Yeah. First rule of Thread Club, do not talk about Thread Club. Never talk about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, my bad. I will say, if the thread ever disappears, I'm going to have to, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. That thing no, is, like... it is eternal. That's been my lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's move into In Response Era. Now... Yeah. There's, there's a classic story of uh, how you guys got signed. Yeah. The basketball game. It all happened right around the time meeting Brendan, too, because Brendan was part of that basketball game at Hellfest in 2002, Two. it was. It was Pat and I, our tour manager, and my dear friend, he, we just started shooting uh, hoops at the venue. And this third guy came up and just started shooting around with us. And the three of us got challenged to three-on-three. And I love basketball. I'm very competitive. I so. think Pat from All Else Failed was, was one of your competitors. Oh, yeah. We, we probably wiped him out. You we were did. Like 20 <laughs> and, and Brendan was in there. Brendan yeah. was part of this Florida team. Yeah. He, he had like a six foot six guy with him. We wiped him out. <laughs> and, um, and me, Pat, and this, this uh, mystery man at the time, were, uh, we were just like, we played for hours each day. And... I quickly learned who it was. It was Steve Reddy from Equal Vision Records, the uh, head of EVR, who was literally our dream uh, dream label. I remember a few months before that festival, before Hellfest, Colin and I were driving, and I threw out a hypothetical question like, yo, top five record labels, if you got to be on a record label. And our first number one was Equal Vision, both of us. Mm. So fast forward three months after that, little hypothetical question and now i'm playing basketball with steve the head of evr the universe just put it in your path it's nuts and at the end of the weekend i gave him a copy of transient and i was like uh hey this is my band cd uh we love your label and uh i don't know just wanted to pass this along and the last thing he says to me he's like he holds up the cd he's like i don't even care what this sounds like i just I really want a ball player on my label. And Whoa. We were signed like two months later. 
That's beautiful. <laughs> Equal Vision is a classic label. I know. I mean, Converge and uh, Saves the Day. And yeah. This Day Forward and, and just, I mean, it's, it's nice. endless. Bane. I mean, come yeah. on. It's just like. They put out the first Circus stuff too, right? The yes. First the first two, I think. Yeah. 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 And earlier this year on New Year's Day, right around then, I had this idea. Like, it really kicked in how special it was to be part of the Equal Vision tribe. And I really would love to make Equal Vision Records Fest happen. I mean, it could be two or three days. You could have Circa and Saves a Day one one night. You could have Coheed and Converge the other night. Oh Alexis God. on Fire, uh, Bear vs. Shark, uh, 108, Shelter. Like, imagine these these shows. They would be really special. I would go to that. And <laughs> this day forward would have to play that. That is something we would have to be a part of. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, I would really love for that to happen. Yes, so we're putting that out there. If other members yes. of this day forward Let's are hearing manifest this, it through get this yourselves yeah. together. It's it, whoever be, hears this. If whoever yeah. hears this, if you're able to like put it out there, with in the your universe. little bits of consciousness. Let's make uh, Equal Vision Records. We're putting it out into the world right now. We we are manifesting it. <laughs> we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> So let's talk about the writing of your final record in response. Now, what, how was it going into that process? I mean, was there a lot of pressure? How did you decide? Did you decide, like, all right, it's going to sound like this? Like, I mean, take us through some of that. Oh, for me, it's, it's so little bits of memories and scattered. I do remember Colin and I in his basement, just like with his little four track, going over vocals and um, writing melodies and then he put it in backwards one time and it was playing um, a guitar riff that I wrote <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> and it was playing it backwards and I was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. wait wait let, let that play and uh, we just let it loop and I was like <gasps> we should recreate this this sounds awesome backwards and that became track six Ufio question as far as vocals like by the time we got into the studio, I only I had two songs that were like blank canvases, and I was so stressed and I couldn't write. And Colin and I just took a, a few long car rides and just wound up writing. He wound up writing the words for voice and um, fragile version, and those were the, like the last two. I don't really remember too much the process of writing. I just remember being in the studio. Um, we recorded a big blue meanie in Jersey city mm -hmm. and we got there. It was bear versus sharks last day of recording. So it was just great to, to meet those guys, yeah. to see them. And um, we wound up touring with them later. And then halfway through our session Thursday, was coming in to record war all the time in the big room. Wow. And you know, we went up there, we would just go up to see what was going on in the big room. Cause they had like a 400 K budget or something as opposed to our, you know, 10K at the time was, that was amazing for yeah, us, yeah. and it was like a dream. But they had 25 snare drums set up to find the perfect snare drum. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, it was just magical to be at that um, studio, at that moment in time and space. So what was your first, What do you remember what your first tour was, like right around the time the record came out? Or tell tell us about, like, the anticipation leading up to the release of that record. Oh, I don't remember the first tour, but I remember on one of the one of the first tours of that, I had another 
guitar hitting banging into my head incident. Oh god. <laughs> but it happened up in Canada and I split my head open again. It was so much different cuz Canada we just kind of walked into a hospital and they stitched me up and then we left and the healthcare up there was just like we we're like is that it? We just go, just sign here. That's and, beautiful. And three they were like, "Yep, just in 10 days or like 12 days just make sure you, you take the stitches out." Um and 12 days later we were in California and I was like, eh, I don't want to go to a hospital. We like, we don't have the funds for that. So our tour manager at the time, he, uh, he's like, I got you. And we bought some rubbing alcohol and he just dipped nail clippers into rubbing alcohol. And he like just pulled the stitches out of my my head. (laughs) We had footage of it and my dad said he almost fainted. Oh man. But it was such an interesting, like lesson grand scheme wise of like, being in Canada, getting taken care of, and then coming home and being like, oh, well, hospital. Is this Ooh. your provider? Do you have $5,000 deductible? Yeah, is this in network? Is this out of network? Yeah. So we so, have to kind of riff and do it. So I remember I, being on that tour. Yeah. That was around when I started touring with you. Who was on the, the tour? The, the first one was in 2002. Yeah. I think this was before In Response came out. It was you guys... And Hope's Fall and Open Hand. Oh, yeah. And Time and Malta jumped on, I think, towards the end. Not Waving But Drowning, too? Yes. Yeah. That tour was so fun. It was so much fun. And just like, you know, some of my favorite memories are those two tours I did with you guys. And just getting to see the whole country. And like, you know, it was, I just remember like coming home after being away all summer. You were the best to, uh, to drive with. When it was me driving and you in the passenger seat, it was so much fun. We irritated the <laughs> shit out of everybody. We would find one joke yeah. and just repeat it for two hours. That was laughing. a lot of people's complaint was that we just yeah, yeah. like we take we took the same joke and just sledgehammered it to I, death. Yeah. I left the Shaw House on several occasions because I could not handle the repetition. <laughs> the, the one that got me was the you guys used to do the one where you would lean back and cross your legs and then shake out a newspaper like you were reading, <laughs> and you would just. Shit, you know, <clears throat> and just I'm like, what are you doing? What are I you don't, doing? You've like, done this eight and, times, and it's yeah. and it would just be so like constant. Like, any type of lull in the conversation, you would like scoot your chair back, cross your legs, and then shake it. And I'm like, yeah. are they really just going to do this over and over again? Being irritating was our specialty, and yeah. I, I remember <laughs> Vadim and Colin like getting upset Yo. with you on tour because we had this joke where. Uh, Mike ran into this guy on tour who said he was going to stomp Allen Iverson because yeah, he, he was a Suns fan or something. Yeah, I was like, he was like, oh, where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, you from Philadelphia? You got that little uh, little Allen Iverson, nah? Well, <laughs> welcome to the West Coast. We got the Shaq. We're going to stomp that Iverson. <laughs> we stomp that little boss. And I, I, I would, he would do, do that, that voice really loud. I lost my my voice. We I would just... do it all day, and <laughs> I would laugh and. <laughs> Everyone got everyone got so mad. Like they were like, "Stop! We have a we we have a show coming. Like you have to save your voice and just like, just just the sheer irritation was so much fun. And then like with Pat and I like buying those like rotisserie chickens and eating them in the van, (laughs) like and just the gross chicken smell in the van and just oh my god, it's just like endless endless stories. But those two tours. You know, and I remember the tour with Thursday and Every Time I Die. Yeah. After the In Response came out. and That was so fun. I mean, how did you feel 
like after the album was out and you were playing the songs, were you like, this is it? Or were you, Yeah, I we mean, just hit this uh, stride where confidence and um, felt like actually belonged. But at the same time, we were having this like schizophrenic shift where you could see where we were going uh, in response wise. And it was so different from transient style. So, you know, we would play, we would tour with Thursday and feel maybe more comfortable doing the newer songs. But then we also got a um, tour with Shadows Fall and Avenged Sevenfold where the newer stuff just was like... You're only playing transient. Yeah, exactly. Did you get any backlash? Like, I mean, I guess the internet wasn't as big of a thing, but did you experience any personal backlash? Like, why did you change your sound or any any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, of course, for sure. Did you care about it at all or no? I mean, no. you're just doing your thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because, I mean, that's the thing. It's not, I guess for some bands, it's like, okay, we're making a decision. Like, we sound like this, now we're going to sound like this. I don't think it was like that for you guys. It, from my impression, it seems like, you know, musical tastes changed a bit and you're just kind of doing and members too. what you're listening to. That yeah. too. So Brendan, Fadim. Yeah. Yeah, the styles are going to change with uh, mem- different members writing for sure. Absolutely. So this is a this is a question like I've always wanted to ask, but I don't, I'm not even sure if like when how how did the end of the band come about? Like when did that when did that discussion happen? Was there a discussion? Like how did it how did it how did it end? Iowa, Iowa on the uh, Shadows Fall tour. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Um, pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So something happened. Yeah. What, was there some type of discussion where we said like this is it? Yeah. So was that was that the last tour you were on, and then when? No, we had tours after but we that. just knew, and after that you're just kind of unhinged, where you know this string of shows is going to be it. So that's when I just started like, you know, midway through a song, if there was a break, I would run outside, grab a tree branch, come back in, swinging it. I would. In San Francisco, at, we played the, the Pound, and um, we ended with end of August and the last uh, breakdown. I just remember being so present. I'd, like, drop the mic and was just staring at the crowd. And then when I went into the turn of the page, I just ran out. We're just scre- grabbing people, screaming in their face, like, turn the page. Wow. Turn the page. Like, uh, knowing that this chapter of This Safe Word was ending, like, it was me, like, uh, just being cathartic and channeling it that way. Wow. So how yeah. how long how long was the period where you knew it was ending and you were still playing shows? I think we had three months or two months because In Response came out and I think we had broke up like I think it was only six months after it came out. So it's like get signed to our dream label, put out a record that we're really proud of, and then poof. Wow. It's yeah. crazy. So I remember the final shows – in Philly, what was it? Was it just one, or it was the show was at the Palenka church? Park? Yeah, yeah, that was the one where the police came and they shut the mics off. That one, yeah, we that got shut down, and then the show with the church, we got our our set got sh- cut short by two or three songs. I think that mm. was 
that was always like the uh, par for the course for this day forward. It, it seemed like, like that happened a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there was think, always a problem. I think that's why my podcast, I'm only 15 minutes because like I'm like, all right. No one can shut that down. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the time they get there, you're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I should talk about CMJ that year. That was so much fun. Tell me, tell me about that. I mean, we were just unhinged. We all dressed up like we wore these ridiculous costumes. I wore a marching band outfit with a gorilla what? mask <laughs> and this was like cmj like a showcase where it's like oh all these execs are going to be there like we didn't care we're, that, we're done <laughs> that's incredible and uh i remember after that show every member from the van went off with like a female a lady and i was left with the van and i was like okay uh so what do i do now i have all the gear I was like, do I drive all the way home and come back? I was like, no, I'm so tired. So I started driving. I figured I'd stop at a rest area, but there was a Burger King in New York City mm-hmm. with a small parking lot. And I parked the van there, crawled in the back, was just like so exhausted and passed out. And the next morning, I woke up to the entire van getting lifted by a tow truck. Oh my! <laughs> and God. I like rolled out. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm here. Don't, don't come pack to me. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. Like, and then did so they let you go? They let me go. Yeah, yeah. No ticket or anything. Oh, that's beautiful. That must have been a while ago. Because if there was like a Burger King with a parking lot yeah. in New York City, it was close to the the on ramp from 95. Ah, Dang. yeah. So I remember that last show, and I remember working merch at it, and I was drunk. Yeah. And, and you were, uh, which was often the case back then. And you like it was like this passionate moment where like the song ended, but you like still screamed. Yeah. And then I yelled out, "Song's over." <laughs> so I just wanted to say sorry for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, take this forum to apologize yeah, for something yeah. you did twenty Song's years ago. Yeah, yeah. I was just amazing. I was trying to be funny, and I'm sure no one remembers. But that's amazing. <laughs> it was dumb. But I love it. But after that show, like. What did you guys do that night? Did you just did you just go your separate ways? Did you talk to each other? Did you hang out? Like how did you feel like immediately following that show? Oh, I do remember the one thing I remember was before the last song like uh just talking to the crowd. I can really re- be there being like, "Wow, it's crazy to think that in about 10 minutes this is all going to be over." And then we went to the last song. I don't remember much after that, to be honest. But I do remember that moment. Like, uh, I do just remember, like, hugging people and, uh, yeah, getting a little choked up. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, a lot of those days are foggy to me because I was so long ago. I was 21 years old. And just, like, I think my involvement in hardcore kind of dropped off after this day forward, too. Like, I still listened to music and went to shows, but, like, not nearly as much as I went to. And that's also around when I, like, really started getting into, like, partying and all this crap and yeah. like you know so it was just it was like the end of an era we were talking about in the first episode yeah. like your house was like the epicenter like, yeah for like the bucks county scene Mike said there was 150 people in the house i yeah. guarantee at any point in time you would walk in there on a saturday afternoon there were 10 to 15 people just hanging out yeah just yeah. hanging out there were times where there was a there was shaw fest that used to happen and yeah. it would just be sometimes it was just impromptu people were there people would play i know. would just show up i would just show up and walk <laughs> yeah. in like it was my house that's I, unheard of I, going on at the shaw, shaw yeah house. i remember i don't remember whose comp it was but somebody put something out and i remember it had a cryptopsy song on it 
and I remember Gary turning it on and turning the volume literally all the way up to the point where the windows were shaking. <laughs> and I was like, whose house is a left? Like nobody, I came from such a strict house that like, even having my radio a little bit loud would you know, warrant yeah. someone banging on my door and be like, turn that down. In your house, it was just like, this is what's happening. Like, and it was yeah. like New Year's Eve at your house for a decade in a row. Like it was literally every New Year's Eve I was there and it would show up. I showed up one time I was working for a school and part of my job with the school was these were kids that were kicked out and I had a minivan. And I pulled up with a minivan full of people to your house <laughs> on New Year's Eve. And I remember it was like all these people and they walked in and it was a couple of them that didn't know you guys. And they were like, oh, so what kind of party is this going to be? I'm like, you'll see. <laughs> it's yeah, we'd always have like surprise visitors like Killswitch Engage showed up the one year. Oh, God. Uh, so many bands. 12 Tribes, Killswitch yeah. Engage, Poison the Well. Yeah, we would always have these From bands Autumn stay to Ashes. with us. Like, you know, yeah. I think one time Poison the Well and 12 Tribes all stayed in the house like in sleeping bags. And yeah, it just, I think it, housing all those bands and doing all that like created this karma for us that we always had a place to crash and always just kind of found a way on the road that's great yeah i drove by i was in levittown recently i drove by that oh, house wow. i did house like a slow luck. drive by I, I i i guess the same and colin's house too i mean his parents would let us practice there like two three days a week and like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's just very lucky it's crazy when i think about it yeah colin too like um that's another interesting part. He and I gave him a hypothetical, like, yo, top five um, singers that you would ever want to start a band with. And, like, in my brain, I'm, like, thinking, he'll say Chris Cornell, then Eddie Vedder, you know, thinking, like, big time like that. Yeah. And he's, like, um, um, he's, like, I th Anthony Green. And this, <laughs> at the time, it blew my mind because it, it was, we only knew him from Audience of One and, like, Tyrion at Rome. Right. And... It's so funny, like this day forward ends, and then him and him and Anthony link up, and Anthony's leaving Seosin, and then they write the first circus song. It be, it's called "Handshakes at Sunrise," and then they take over this day forward's um, contract, and it kind of carry that. So that's and, how that happened. And it's funny how like a balloon is their, um, you know, like that their insignia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas like. This day forward was like a lot of the seeds and the roots and the growing, and then it gets to a point, and then Circa just blossoms into this balloon, this kind of like global phenomenon. Yeah. Makes sense, like a you picture a balloon traveling all around the globe. Yeah. So qu question about that. Yeah. Was it ever weird for you to see members of your band go on to success in Circa Survive? And I ask that because... When I saw them in the early days, I would get mad. No. Like, no, hold on a second. Nah. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Yeah. I got mad because they were so good. <laughs> I I never thought I should be in the band or like any BS like that. Yeah. I, I They were so good. Yeah. And I was in a band at the time that didn't exactly match what I listened to. And they were just so good. And they were doing more of the style of music I wanted to do. So I would watch them and I'd be like, damn it. They're so good. They're so good. Did you ever have any like strange feelings to process as a result of? No, nothing strange. It was always like I kind of knew I carried, you know, my voice carried this day forward to, I guess, the the pinnacle of what it could have been. And, mm -hmm. I, and then just seeing the way that 
Circa operates and the chemistry they have and what Anthony has. And yeah, it was just like the next level for sure. Yes. And uh, I've traveled all around to see them. It's It's been great to like uh, take the bus down to Richmond. I flew down to Orlando. Dude. Uh, yeah, you always like randomly are favorite, somewhere. And I'm like, he's one, at another fucking circus show. My favorite one is... <laughs> Dude. Is uh, I think it was three years ago on Valentine's Day. I saw it was only a hundred twenty nine dollars round trip to fly to Denver, and Circa was playing on Valentine's Day, and I I just booked the ticket and didn't tell them. There was a uh, we I passed by this sandwich shop near the venue called Chiba Hut. It was all like it was like a subway like sandwiches, but all like marijuana cannabis themed. Uh-oh. Like you can get a little nug for a six inch. It was it was a ridiculous place, and I took a picture of it. And I texted uh, Brendan and Colin. I was like, yo, dudes, uh, you want to meet up here for lunch maybe? Like <laughs> I, and, and they're like, you're here? What? That's incredible. And Brendan was like, we actually planned on going there for lunch. And we wound up going to Chiba Hut twice that day. Yes. But they do a Q&A. Um, it was about 45 minutes or an hour before every show. And I went to the Q&A at, in Denver. And the very last question, somebody in the audience was like, Hey, this question's for Colin and Brendan. How different is it touring in Circus Survive than it was in This Day Forward for you guys? And they say they never get asked TDF stuff. Um, so for for me and Colin was like, well, it's funny you asked because our singer is here. He just randomly showed up to the show tonight. Wow. And then, you know, I waved in the back like, hey guys. Getting to uh, getting to sing. Uh, with Anthony and and Brendan and Colin and Circa in Richmond, that was very special too. You did that, yeah. What song? It was in 2009. It was the On Letting Go tour with Thrice, mm-hmm. and I got there, took the bus down, and Anthony was just like, "Hey, you know, we should sing a song tonight. You should come up." And we went through a few. We actually sung a couple good old war songs together just to get a voice, and we found On Letting Go. Um, the for your future's sake, you know that song, mm-hmm. and then yeah, we sung it on stage, and I got off, and guess who I ran into? Who? Stan. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, right. Listeners, you don't know Stan, yeah. but um, um, that we'll save that one for a later. Yeah, Stan's time. a later podcast. Stan's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a podcast in and of itself. He's a ridiculous uh, character to run into <laughs> randomly. That's a lot of beautiful coincidences. I, yeah. I love that. But tell me about – now, This Day Forward was such a – it was your lives for from, like, 1999 to 2003. Like, yeah. how – tell me about adjusting to life after the ban. Like, what were, what were those months like? I mean, you know, like, last year I did a play. The play was my life rehearsing. Oh, I wish getting I could have seen it. I wish I could have seen it. There's going to be another one this year. I'll tell you about Please, it after I'm coming this. up. But once it was, that was six month investment in yeah. time. And when it was done, I was devastated. I yeah. was like, what am I going to do with my life now? This what, band, this band was your life for six years. How, what did you, like, how did you? I'll, I'll tell you in a second. I, how nervous were you to perform? It was like the, the day of. It was the, the first scariest one. thing I know. I've ever done. That's so awesome. But you just, that's the difference between people who do it and people people who don't like you you go out there and you do it yeah and i pulled it off thank you that's awesome dude yes really proud of you there's going to be another one in june so i'll I'll tell you about it the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek most wow 
Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I love that. And it's true. No, you know, nothing uh nothing really good is like comes easy you gotta you gotta like yeah you gotta push through and you gotta you cool. gotta do it thank you that's sage that right was a thing. good uh that was a good like back and forth uh propping up yeah i like that that made me feel good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and back to you back to me back to mr michael shaw <laughs> so, on the northeast scene podcast yeah so circling back into the real world of like not yeah. being in a band like, played our last show december 21st of 2003 and then in January of '04, I got hired as a server at a diner, and uh, then in late January, I, st- I saw my mom playing uh, poker online, and then I was like, "What's this?" Uh oh! And she's like, "Oh, it's this game. You, you know, you wouldn't like it. You wouldn't be good at it." And I accepted the challenge, and I started playing online poker and working at a restaurant. So. It was like band ended, and then I kind of got split into these two characters where poker side is a little darker, a little more solitary, a little more closed off, and serving is serving side is a little more selfless, vibrant, joyful, always bowing, always serving. Mm. So I get split into these two characters, and I'm still, it's been really fascinating to juggle these two, but. I guess about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I uh, started finding my voice again. And that's really important because um, the last This Day Forward song that ever was written was called Voice. And the chorus of it is, so still I search, so still I try to find this voice. And I think it was like this person I met who became sort of a muse, kind of like just lit a little fire and in the past year just started singing again recorded a bunch of songs started a podcast i just did stand-up comedy for the first time in over 10 years wow on my i 40th. remember we were doing it yeah my 40th birthday i uh did a uh four minute set and how did that go terrifying yeah i was terrified dude that's like, the scariest thing to do uh-huh because a play like you memorize it you know, you know, if you're in a band, you have other people to fall back on. Yep. A play, you the have play, other you people have to script. Comedy, yeah. it's just you. And I had like a four-minute thing, and and there was a bunch of people. It was at Raven Lounge, um, and I was so nervous. The show had started. I was going on 7th, and I ran to Rite Aid. I just need to like walk around the halls and like rehearse my little uh, four-minute thing. And I was talking, and then I go up to the cashier. There were two two girls working, maybe like their mid-20s, and I was like, ladies, can I please, can I just run by this little three, four-minute set by you? I, I, it would just be really nice. And wow. I did my skit for these, these two cashiers, and they were like cracking up. And I was like, should I do this part? Should I like do the card? And they're like, yeah, 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 you have to do that. And, um, and then I felt good. Then I literally went over to Raven. It was two comedians, and then I went up and... Um, yeah, I broke the ice with these two strangers. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That would take a lot of courage. That's like my worst nightmare. To like, like yeah. well, one being around random people that I don't know, but to go into a store and be like, "Hey, yeah. tell me if this joke works." Oh yep. man, that's how is this open mic there now? I haven't been there in a long time. It was awesome. Is um, it still a lot of people? It was packed that night. I don't know what was going on, but um, there's so many mics popping up around the city. Mm-hmm. I actually did another one two weeks ago it was um called 90 minute mike where 
you know, once the hour and a half is up, the mic is over, which is great. And I totally bombed, dude. I <laughs> I had a different set. It was four minutes, and I thought I had it internalized. And halfway through, about the two-minute mark, my brain just shut off. And I'm just, like, staring at, you know, maybe 25, 30 people. And I'm just like, oh, oh I'm so I'm so sorry. I just forget. I forget the rest of my set. And that's going to be all for me tonight. And I went and sat down. You know, that happens to yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. That's, that's happened to me where I, like right in the beginning, yeah. I just lose it. Yeah. And then I just walk off. It's the worst feeling yeah. in the world. It is, <laughs> but it, it's over. The worst is over. Like it can't get worse than what it, happened at 90 Minute Mike. It's not the mob. <laughs> like they can't kill you. you yeah. Know? All, you just, you go and sit down with your tail between your legs. Yeah. So tell us about the podcast. Yeah. How did you conceive this? How did it get started? Wow. And by the way, folks, check out uh, Mike Shaw's Kinder Things podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank What's you. the Instagram I handle? I love it. It's at Kinder Things Podcast. Yes. Uh, it's so much fun. And I'm so excited for you to be doing this because you're going to fall in love with this medium. It's a brand new medium. I mean, Spotify just started carrying podcasts in 2019 so this is just the beginning of this world and it's such a great uh it's like a canvas and you're painting with your voices in this conversation and then it's over and um it just it's i don't know it's a beautiful beautiful thing and i feel lucky i think it was a combination of finding my voice again getting comfortable like just singing speaking and i there was this poker podcast I would listen to by Jennifer Shahade. It's called The Grid, and she would have a guest on. They would pick a starting hand like pocket aces or five-six offsuit, and once that hand was taken, it was off the grid, and she's going to go through every 169 um, hand. And it would just be all these great thinkers um, talking about a hand they played, maybe 20, 30-minute episodes. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I, would, I binged like four of them, and I was like, dude, like, I should do this, but with kindness and all these kind little stories that I see and all people tell me, like, this is a perfect little platform for it. And I just wanted to keep it brief, like 15, maybe 20 minute episodes. Yes. Like, uh, I just know people commuting and they don't have too much time to, like, concentrate on it and, you know, just hear a little kind story and then on with your day. That's all I wanted to do. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And my approach with this is like, well, one, I want it to be a long interview because whenever I hear it, well, f for one, no one interviews people I actually want to hear most of the time. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. okay. So, the, you know, I listen to hardcore and post rock and post hardcore and, you know, and so I want to get all those people yeah. and yeah. ask all the questions that I've always wanted to ask. And two, people don't ask compelling questions yeah. on most stuff that I hear. I hear an interview and I'm like, what? You know, I want I want to know I want to know the shit. Yeah. yeah. I want to get into the shit. I can't wait for you to I can't wait for some more episodes of this like Singer for Disembodied, Singer for Harvest. Do you get hear Singer for Harvest? Do you hear that Singer for Harvest yeah. and Singer for Disembodied? You need to come on the show. Dude, Please. Harvest was so good at um This is, this hard. is hardcore, yeah. yeah. That was Dude, my first year that. going. Yeah. And um I could tell just how genuinely appreciative he was to be playing music again. Yeah. And that's why Playing that fest has to be like a great experience yeah and for me like singing or yelling screaming those 
the Stay Forward songs a couple weeks ago is was a big step for me because I haven't done that and I kind of abandoned my voice over the past um, six years. So just starting to find it again and to get to that level already and we're able to like project. That's actually one of the things I wanted to bring up is like you're such a you're such a humble person and so like most of the time when I met you like when we would spend time together when we were younger you're so you're very meek and not in like a diminished way but in a very like you're very you're measured and when you speak you don't you're not frivolous with your words you're very like but then you have this like on stage (laughs) that's like literally thinking about like that that picture of like that hell fest of like covered in blood screaming and it's like then you go to talk to you in person, and you are the calmest, kindest, like it, kind little you, mouse. How do you how do you balance those two things? Like, is there something? It, what I guess I'm asking is like really like, you have that part of you that's there's like, surely a an, a reservoir of aggression that um, needs to get channeled some way for sure. Poker is definitely became a substitute for that. That's awesome. There's so much aggression uh, psychologically you can use but um i don't know how healthy that is in the long long term just dude belting those those tdf songs was just i woke up the next day i felt like like refreshed reborn um there's something about it for sure can we bring up the i always that this is the 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 tdf versus the a the a law back and forth that happened when it was like there was two camps that split and it was like that's Keith and I were discussing in the first podcast of like it was Vadim left a life once lost and went to this day forward and it was one of those things where it was like it was kind of an unspoken you picked a side. division <laughs> it was a small schism small rupture I think I don't know the bonds the the scene and the community were were so tight that I think something like that might have been like a brief rupture. Yeah, because we all still hung out. Okay. Yeah, and and I love Bob so much. Like I was honored he uh, asked me to be um, a guest on Mind Power. Um, I heard that, and that that was eleven eleven. I actually filmed. That was a second session of Kinder Things. So I filmed for six seven hours of Kinder Things. Then I caught the train out to Humeville, met up with him, and then we um, we recorded vocals for the song that night. That's excellent. And the song is really good. I I checked that out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, do you have any musical projects in the works now? I know there's been a couple post This Day 4 bands. There was Bamboo Houses, who my band uh, Crash of 64 used to play with. Yeah. Colors with TJ. Oh, yeah. That is is my biggest regret um, musically. Let's talk about that. Why is, is that? It's just not not finishing that record. We had a whole record written with this band, Colors, who I felt insanely lucky to be a part of. Those dudes were just so super talented. I would be sitting on the couch while they were writing and jamming, and I'm just like, these dudes are out of my league. Like, I'm lucky to be here. Like, I'm not that talented technically. I just have, like, you know, I have the, the fire and bring the persona to it. But yeah, we had a whole, we had 10 songs written. The name of the record was You Are Here. We had like an idea for the cover. And the last two bands I was in, Bamboo Houses and Colors, all right, both bands played this venue in Philly called The Fire. Mm -hmm. 
and bamboo houses there was like three people watching and then uh it was like a week after that show we were just like we're like yeah the band's done <laughs> and then colors too like we had been playing for a little less than a year we played the fire and somehow it just ended after that it just fizzled out it's like the glass house of philadelphia yeah <laughs> but it's such a it's so metaphorical of like these bands I'm in going to play a venue called The Fire and then just disintegrating. And the fire goes out. I've been in that situation where you're sitting on a record and you just, that's it. It's never going to... So is there any chance of that Colors record ever seeing the light of day or how much of it is done? Like what's... Oh, I mean, it's... All the songs are written and they're there. Maybe this podcast just speaking it into existence. Yo, this this um, it's podcast. It's like Equal Vision Fest. So Yo. two things that are happening. Equal Vision Fest, Colors getting finished. That would be awesome. Um, and if if Colors ever plays a show, uh, I want the basement year. I want the two of us to play. Well, I love that record. I, I hope that listen, happens. Listeners, listen to the song Tourists of the Moment by your host. He'll never... <laughs> He'll never do the whole uh, self-promotion thing. No, he will. It's there... called The Basement Year. It's on Spotify. You can listen to it. Tourists of the Moment. Awesome song. Start there. I, <laughs> I, I think I have a new lineup for the band, which includes Tommy here. Wow. We're going to be covering that in it's another awesome. episode. That was a high five. <laughs> so I hope, Sorry. I hope we play a show one day because I'm, yeah. I'm very happy about that EP. And in fact, uh, our opening song is, is from that EP, yeah, folks. Yeah. So... Go check it out. I could I could use the plays on Spotify. Yeah. Um, so I did check uh, my spot or my um, streams for kinder things last night. I never check analytics. I've been trying to stay away stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I knew it would affect me mentally. It was like a bit lower than I anticipated, but it doesn't matter. You know, what I mean, whoever's going to hear it is going to hear it, and it's going to affect the people. It's going to need to affect. You know. Exactly. And these things are like long long run things you know yeah. you can't expect like a yeah. sensation in one day these it's They're like little seeds yes yeah. you plant the seeds mm-hmm. and they grow and then you <laughs> f the plant <laughs> <laughs> that's usually how that works um so <laughs> let me let me get down to brass tacks here when is the this day forward reunion happening i want a date um, i want a time who's holding it up I want. What's their name? Give me their social security number. I'll <laughs> I'll track them down. I'll get things moving. I'm I'm determined to make it happen. Let is it going to happen? And uh, where are we? Equal Vision Fest. Let's make it happen. Like Circa and Saves a Day can headline the Saturday, mm-hmm. and then if if Converge is cool, I know them and Equal Vision are maybe a little shaky ground, but Kohi, Converge, Alexis, we'll play that day. Or even a Friday, it could be refused. Alexis, Oz, Fair <laughs> versus Sharp. These, these would be such amazing shows, and you could do Armor two, for Sleeper back. We'll wow. get we'll get them in. You could do three different venues in Philly, and and then when that happens, because let's speak it into existence through this. Then surely there will be a few TDF offset offset uh, like special shows. Like K, KFN would be awesome. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, that'd be cool. great. You can, you, can, you can feel that, right? Like how exciting that would be. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I want it to happen more than anything. Are you yeah. kidding me? Uh, Shelter 108. Um, 108's been like just circulating through. 108, the number has been circulating through our, our little. Oh, yeah. Crew. Was it like on a receipt or for something? Everything. You know, so, yeah. Like 
we were going to see the band 108, the reunion show in Brooklyn in November. And the night before, I served at the restaurant, and my sales were 1080.10. No. 1080.10. Like, how? And I took a picture of it, and then I saw Steve Reddy, the the head of EVR, at the 108 show. I'm right. like, Steve, look, look, look at my uh, receipt. He's like, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it sucks, because, like... I, a few days before that show, I had an intuition to listen to Threefold Misery, one of my favorite records. Listeners, 108, the record Threefold Misery is a gem. Um, Classic. Listen to it after this uh, episode. Well, I, should, I was going to study for the 108 show, and I didn't. I was like, yeah, I'll listen to it on the bus. And, and I the, what ha- this, is my, this is my literal dream for every hardcore show. And the, uh, the, the, encore. Yeah, like, they're like, the singer is not here. Uh, we need someone he, to sing the song. The singer, Rob Fish, was winded. He was not feeling so well. Just empty mic on the stage, and they're playing. Anybody know the... Killer li- of the Soul. Anybody know the words to Killer of the Soul? And somebody in the audience is like... Uh, yeah, everyone here. <laughs> and there are about 10, 12 minutes pass. And if I would have studied, I would have been up there in a heartbeat. Like, I was already inching forward to, like, but I just didn't yeah. recap the song. I wish you would have, or I chickened out, too. We always oh, used to man. study. Like, when One King Down was playing, when Shia Lude, yeah. I would just cram and, like, listen to the records. And so I was prepared to scream along. Oh, I uh, wish we would have done it. D- dude, and I was about being well prepared like Chai Hulud at the Melody Bar there was this venue called the Melody Bar in New Brunswick and back in, in two, July 3rd of 2000 I believe it was or it was the weekend that X-Men the first X-Men movie came out we go to see Chai Hulud in, in New Brunswick and the singer Geert is just trapped in traffic he's not going to make it and Matt Fox the guitarist just he knew that I knew all the words and he knew I was kind of in this, this band that was just starting up. He's like, all right, Mike, you're up. I know you know all the words. I was like, huh? What? <laughs> Me? What? He's like, yeah, Gear's not going to make it. We need a singer. And I was like, yes. And sung nine songs. It was insane. I couldn't talk for a week because like the screaming patterns of Shai Hulud. Very, very wordy. Very yeah. wordy. How did you feel after that? That's like a dream come true. Uh, they were your favorite band at the time. Dude, and that's like the dream scenario, I imagine, at every hardcore show. Like, we need a singer, you're up. It was beyond dream. And I remember, like, I think Colin and Golan, they were at X-Men seeing it, like, the late show, and we met up with them and slid into the row, and I was like, dudes, I sung for Shia Lou tonight. You know, I was like, I couldn't, be, I was like, dudes. Straight <laughs> for Charlotte tonight. Sound like The Godfather. And I was like, you should, where were you? <laughs> I remember you called me on the phone like the next day and told me about it. Yeah. And I was just blown away. I was like, God, I wish I, I would have been there. If anyone out there has footage of that show, it was at the Melody Bar. There, Shai Halud featuring Mike Shaw on vocals, year 2000, I think. There was a guy named Forrest with two R's and two T's. It was, it was spelled weird. And I was in correspondence with him for a couple of years trying to get that footage. Get us that tape. Someone out there has it, and we need it. Now, Mike, to close out this interview, we have something special planned. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> oh, here it comes. This is. Uh, okay, we've been prepping we, the sound levels on this here for a we while go. now. We are going to play Who Would Headline? Yeah! <laughs> this, is a game, this is a game invented by Mike Shaw where we take two bands and we guess who would headline. 
we use a combination of we use a combination of uh, Instagram total followers, how long they've been broken up, and monthly <laughs> listens on Spotify. And we are going to figure out who would headline. This is amazing. Are you ready to play? This is great. And is this going to happen at the end of every show? Because it really should. We are going to. It's going to be a Please recurring game uh, per your approval. Thank you. I love this. All right. Are you ready to play? How many are we going to do? We're going to do three, six, six, six. All right. Number one, Vane or Knocked Loose? Who would headline? Dang. Knocked Loose is awesome, but Vane, they just... Vane would headline, yeah. I'm sorry, that's wrong. No. Knocked Loose. Knocked Loose is that big already? They, they have like 140,000 Instagram what? followers. Yeah, they're gigantic. Yeah. Vane awesome. Vane is probably my current favorite hardcore band. I put <laughs> I put them at the top of the heap of like this new band of hardcore bands, but I'm sorry, the answer is knocked loose. <laughs> All right, number two, Third Eye Blind or Gin Blossoms. Mm, considering Vadim went to see Gin Blossoms play on the beach in front of like 20 people, I'm gonna say Third Eye Blind. That's right. <laughs> Jesus. It's third eye blind. Thank you, David. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you, David. All right, number three, Mogwai or Caspian? Mogwai. That's right. Yeah, that'd be an amazing show, by the way. I I would love to see that. I don't. I that would be like a dream show. Yo, for Caspian me. Circa tour. Caspian Circa tour. Yeah, we're putting that out there too. <laughs> this is just us, like all of our secret <laughs> things that we've wanted for a long time, just wishing them into existence. Yeah. Like, just, now happen. We're now just, happen. We're just gonna put them out there. Yeah. All right, number four, Bane or Botch. Bane. No Wrong. <laughs> Botch has been broken up since 2002. Yeah. It would be a huge deal yeah. if they got back together. You're right. Major clout. Bane broke up only like five years ago. And, you know, I just think, I just think Botch, I just think they would, they would headline. I love it. Number five, Cave-In or Isis? Ooh. Um, that's such a good one. One second. I'd say Isis. It's just been so long since they played. Yeah. You are right. Yeah. You are right. That would be right. special, for sure. Yes. They, I think they have a bigger following because they were on like Mike Patton's label. Pl- oh. Plus, they've been broken up for a while. Yeah. So, it just, just the they fact that they've play. been... They should play. They did for the Caleb Schofield benefit. Wow. But I, and California and Boston, but unfortunately, I was not able to attend. So, mm. for last but not least, this day forward... <laughs> or hopes fall. If we were to play, probably this day forward. Now, just you know, it'd be such a rare thing. <laughs> That's right. You <laughs> you do not play a show yeah. again unless you headline. All right. That's heard. the correct answer. Heard. Mike, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Mike, thank you, Steve. It's been amazing. You know, gentlemen, thank you so much. I um, just want to close by saying, you know, when I was young. I was directionless. I didn't have, like, really good friends. You and Pat took me under your wing and took me to shows and, like, adopted me, basically, <laughs> and gave me an identity, and you're still my best friends. And, you know, just, just to be able to do this and to still be involved with things, and, you know, it's just it's my, just the best. My son. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you guys are doing here, and I really can't wait for more episodes. Honored to be uh, the first guest here. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you.
There you have it, folks, the Mike Shaw interview, the second episode of the Northeast Scene Podcast. Just a reminder to follow us on Instagram. That's the N-E Scene on Instagram, the N-E Scene. Also, reach out to us through email, northeastscene at gmail.com. Like the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Like it, five stars, comments. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to engage with you via email and share your stories as well. And that's it. Until next time. Yeah!